You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So going and watching a baseball game, I haven't done it in a long time, but it's kind of an interesting experience. Because depending upon which part of the field you look at, you can see something very different. If you focus on the outfield, then for most of the game, you might be able to fool yourself into thinking that you could be a professional baseball player. Uh, Because for, you know, 95% of the game, they're just standing there and waiting, and nothing's really happening if you're off in a certain part of the field. But then if you look at what's going on between the pitcher and the batter, um, you're looking at something that many people have said is the most difficult task in all of professional sports, trying to hit a pitched baseball. In a professional baseball game, the mound is 60 feet, 6 inches away from home plate. And the ball is oftentimes traveling at speeds in excess of 90 miles per hour when it's released. And so that means that between the time that the pitcher lets go of the ball and the batter has to make contact with it, there's about 400 milliseconds between when, they have, between when the pitcher releases it and they have to actually make contact with it. Um, And it takes a good portion of that time just to physically move the bat through the stroke. And so their ability to find out what kind of pitch is coming, to decide if it's going to be a a strike or a ball, where to put the bat, how to swing, has to happen really, really fast. And in order to be able to make that decision, they have to be able to see very, very clearly what's going on. In fact, one of the best predictors of the success of a professional baseball player is the quality of their vision. You know, average vision is 20-20 vision. Average vision for a baseball player, for a professional baseball player, is 2012. And many of them are better than that um, and actually come up really close to the limits of what the human visual system can do. Um, and so they're able to see things more clearly. They're able to see how the pitcher is holding the ball. They're able to see the spin of the ball as it comes off to be able to decide if it's going to rise or sink or curve to one side or another. And they're able to process this information quickly and make a decision. But just because you have a good eyesight doesn't mean you can be a professional baseball player. Even the very best eyesight does no good if the batter just leaves his bat on his shoulder or if he's not prepared and trained with the muscle memory that's necessary to make a quality swing. In order to be successful, a baseball player has to have both incredible perception of what's happening and a willingness and preparedness to take action. Now last week, our our sermon series, we started a new sermon series on the book of James and we said that James told us that in order to live a life of faith, we have to have accurate perception, that faith changes the way that we see the world. But faith is is much like baseball. It does no good if you can see the world accurately and don't respond to it. James says as well that in order to live a life of faith, we must be people who are prepared to take action. As James puts it in the passage that we read this morning, we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. But that comes from about the middle of the reading that we had. So let's take a look um, with me. If you turn with your Bibles in James chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 19 today. Verse 19, uh, verses 19 and 20 say this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. These verses are not unrelated to the call to action that is coming in verse 22. They're actually an essential preparation for James's call to action. The statement to be quick to hear and slow to speak is not just a prudent way to interact with people. I mean, it does help in your relationships if you listen more than you, than you speak, but this is not just a nugget of worldly wisdom that's just dictating how we interact with, with people. It's a necessary preparation to a life of action. And to return to our baseball analogy, James doesn't want us to just swing wildly and hope for the best. He wants us to actually be prepared to understand and see what is going on. And the call to guard our speech and to watch out for anger, these are things that well up from within inside of us. Um, just a few verses earlier, James talked about how one's desire, one's own desire, gives birth to sin. So we are sinful creatures, and if we are not careful, those sinful nature, that sinful impulses will come out. Our speech, in particular, reveals what is inside of us. James is following after the, has been following Jesus, and he heard Jesus say in Matthew chapter 15 that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of their mouth. It's what because that's what proceeds from the heart. The things that we say, the speech that comes out, gives an indication of what is deep inside of us. And being slow to speak gives us the chance to examine not only our words but the heart that is behind them. And this is necessary if we are going to be ready to take action to understand our own impulses and to care for and tend to the sinful impulses, the sinful heart that is within inside of us. And anger is similar in this way. What comes out when we're angry is oftentimes what has already been in and steeping in our heart. Anger can be kind of like a, a bubbling kettle where suddenly what's inside of it starts to come up over and, and to spill out. And so whatever is in there is going to come out in those moments of anger. And we have to be careful not to confuse that, those moments of our feelings in that moment for the reality. Because anger can feel powerful and effective. It can feel like a good way to get things done. Children who have temper tantrums oftentimes do so because they can get a response out of adults. Perhaps you can ignore them if they're just quiet, but when they show that display of anger, suddenly you can't just ignore them anymore. You have to do something. You have to respond to them. And so it can become a way of getting what they want, of manipulating some sort of response from adults. And adults can do the same thing. Adults can use anger to get a response and to try to push people and force people into doing what they want. Anger can be powerful, and it can get things done, but it doesn't mean that what we're getting done is good. In fact, exactly the opposite. James is warning them that the anger that we have that comes out when it bubbles up oftentimes leads to actions that are sinful. They are actions that do not produce the righteousness of God. Even when the anger is appropriate, such as when we were responding to real injustice in the world, when we are responding to injustice that has been done to us. Remember that James is writing to a people who are facing trials and persecution. The very first thing that he told them was to consider it joy when you face trials. They are underneath difficulty and challenges. And sometimes anger is a response to that. And, but if we are not careful, even in those moments, even if the anger is itself righteous, it can do damage. Too often, anger motivates action, but we have to ask ourselves, 
Is it motivating the right kind of action? In my anger, am I trusting God? Am I still perceiving the world through a lens of faith where I fundamentally trust God? In our anger, are we loving our neighbors? Are we acting with love towards people while we're angry? In our anger, are we praying for those who persecute us? Even in the midst of the the persecution that we're facing, are we continuing to lift people up to God, to entrust them to Him, and to entrust that He is the one that will ultimately set things right? He is the only one who takes vengeance. He is the one who will vindicate us in the end. Anger is not always wrong. James says, be slow to anger, not never get angry. Paul wrote, be angry but do not sin. Jesus himself displayed anger at times, such as when he overturned the money changers' tables in the temple. But there is a warning in here that actions taken while angry require extra caution because they tend to be moments where what's inside of us bubbles out and we don't want our own sinful heart to be coming out when we want to be displaying the love of Christ and we want to see God's righteousness come, not some manufactured righteousness that we can build. If we are looking for vengeance, if we're looking to hurt someone else in our anger, if we're delighting in another's suffering, we can be certain that our anger is not from God. The focus on this internal state that James is is pointing out speech and anger because they reveal what is within us becomes explicit when we move into verse 21, where James writes, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When James says, be slow to speak, be quick to hear, again, it's not simply a a measure of how we interact with other people in the world around us. It is also a sign that what we need to hear is the word of God that has been given to us, that shapes us and changes us, that works within us to purify our hearts and cleanse us. It's this implanted word the speech of God himself revealed in Jesus, the truth that is contained in the scriptures, the truth that is given to us in the good news that Jesus is Lord and has chosen to save us from sin and death and the devil. That is the word that can cleanse us and purify us. It can remove our sin and reorient us towards trust and in doing so, prepare us for action. But we must accept it meekly It will not be effective if we reject it in our pride, if we cling to this notion that I know what's best, or if we look at the powerful feelings of anger and say, I'm not willing to give these up. Instead, we have to be honest and humble before God. We confess our sins, and we look for the work of God's in our heart. That's part of why we gather here together, why we have a rhythm of confession and prayer every week, is that we know that we need to have the word implanted in us, purifying our hearts, preparing us for action. It requires patience and time. There's a danger to watch for, though, in our patience. We can begin to be confused as we're looking at that work happening, as we are seeing the good work of God working in our hearts to cleanse us, the good work of God to build in us trust and dependence on Him, 
and we begin, can begin to think that our own internal state is all that God wants to change about us. But James is very clear that the work of the gospel in us does not stop at our own purification. Never has the good news of the gospel been, I'm going to clean your heart and save you, and that's it. When Abraham was called, it was, I'm going to set you apart to be a blessing to the nations. And when we were called, it was as those who are also sent out. The internal change that has been wrought in us through the implanted word, the internal change that comes about in us from letting God work in us and build a life of trust must come out in our actions. When I was a kid, I tried to play baseball. Um, I did okay through the years of t-ball and coach's pitch. And then we moved on into where the kids started pitching. And I went through the whole year. I'd been kind of, I was never a stellar athlete, but I was okay. I was average. And then suddenly I couldn't hit the ball at all. Like, I went an entire year and didn't hit, make contact with the ball once. Um, this was about second or third grade. And right after the season ended was about the time of the year that I found out that I needed glasses. And so I probably literally couldn't see the ball for the entire year. And I just didn't know that everybody else could. Um, but when I, uh, but I, at that point, I'd given up baseball. I set it aside. I decided that it wasn't for me after that, after that experience. Until the eighth grade, I moved down uh, from Columbia, South Carolina, down to Charleston. And pretty much everybody in my class that I was friends with was playing baseball. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this again. I've got glasses now, so I can see. Um, however, years and years of not having played the game of not having prepared and trained my muscles and, and practiced as other people were, meant that even though I could see the ball now, and now I didn't have the ability to actually react and respond, I still didn't get a hit the entire year. Um, and I couldn't blame it on my eyesight anymore. My perception was fixed, but I was not prepared for action in the way, and so the result was the same. And James 1 Verse 22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. What comes out always reveals what is within. And this is true when we have sin bubbling up and out, but it's also true that if we have the good word of God working in us, if we're allowing that to do its work, it needs to come out as well. We're not just to be silent. We're not just to be inactive in the world. We are to be people who take action and to show that what the word has actually transformed and changed us. If nothing comes out, then we're deceiving ourselves about the work that is being done within us. If your actions do not show your trust and your dependence on God, then your trust and dependence on God is not as real as you think. And this is a hard thing to stand and hear and to listen to. But living the gospel is not a passive thing. Verses 23 through 25, James goes on, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
If we claim we have been transformed by the word and do not show it in our lives, we are deceiving ourselves. Because when we look at the law of liberty that James is talking about, the scriptures as interpreted through Jesus, we find a measure of whether or not we are actually doing what God has said, whether or not the change that we say is within us is real. When Jesus was asked to summarize the law, he pointed to two things. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourselves. These are active verbs. They're action that is taken. In loving and showing what it means to love your neighbor, he told the story of the Good Samaritan, of, of somebody helping somebody who was supposedly an enemy but was along the side of the road. The actions that came out showed his love. There are those who claim to love and walked by, but the actions that came out revealed the actual love that was inside. And this is the law that we are looking at that reflects back to us. Is the word of God doing its good work in me? Are my actions showing the love that God has called me to? Do my actions show that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is my time oriented toward him? Is my money oriented toward him? Do my actions show that I love my neighbor as myself? Do I sacrifice for others? Do I help others? Do I actively come in contact with people who I have the opportunity to show God's love? And there's a tension in this between the preparation and the action. There's a, a feeling for some of us, perhaps, that we are going to wait until our, our hearts are completely clean and completely pure before I act. I want to spend all my time on the perception, on understanding the real issues of the world around me. But if we continually turn inward, even if we are spending lots of time trying to figure out these issues, trying to figure out what love looks like, but we don't take that step forward and actually act in love, we are deceiving ourselves. We can't wait until our actions are going to be perfect or we won't act at all. But we have to live a life of faith where we are trusting God, where we are offering our work and our actions up to Him and recognizing that we are ultimately participants in His work and we can step forward in showing love to other people and trust that He will use that for His good purposes because it is he who will see things through to the end. He is the one who gives good gifts. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who is pure. He is the one who will set all things right through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we are participants in that work through the grace that he has shown us. James sets up preparation, but then actually taking action and he gives us a test to see whether or not what we're doing is correct. In James verses, uh, in 20, verses 26 through 27, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Once again, we're looking at speech. What comes out? What comes out when you're speaking with other Christians? What comes out when you are speaking with people who are not Christians? What comes out when you participate in social media? What comes out when you talk about people when no one is around? 
What's your self-talk that you're using to refer to other people? Is it talk that is oriented towards love and trust and faith? Or is it talk that is oriented towards vengeance, towards tearing people down, towards despising people? What comes out reveals what is within. And then he also says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Are you showing actively love for others in the ways that you respond to them? Are you demonstrating love for others, particularly the vulnerable? Are you going to people in their weakness and caring for them? Because what comes out reveals what is within. And if we say that we love God, but we do not love our neighbor, we are liars. But it's not just the action. James also has this line, to keep oneself unstained from the world. He also is still maintaining this call to purity, this call to holiness, this call to love. It's not an either-or choice. Sometimes we set this up, even within our churches. We have churches that focus on the Word working with us, making us holy, getting us, freeing us from sin. And we have churches that focus on social justice and action in the world. And James says it's not a choice between one or the other. You're called to do both because the gospel should be working in you to produce purity and cleanliness, but then that should be worked out in the world where you are taking the holiness of God to others, showing the love that he has to others. And if you are not doing that, then that work that you claim is being done within you is a lie. This is a hard word to hear as individuals. It's a hard word to hear as the church. Because sometimes we fall down and we fail. We don't live up to the standards that we would like. We're tired and we're worn out and we don't know how to show love. But it doesn't mean that we don't keep on trying. We accept the word of Godness. We accept his grace. And we recognize that he has given us this mirror that right now we are not all that we wish to be. There's only one who is, Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. That in him we see what perfect love looks like. We see both purity and compassion. And that's our call, to be like him. And there are times where we need to be honest with ourselves when we hold up that mirror and say, in what way have I fallen short? What's my own orientation towards this? What are the places where I tend to sin? Is it that I tend to bubble up with anger that comes out and I tend to act rashly? And I need to slow down, listen to the word that has been given to me and allow it to do the good work inside of me? Is it that I tend to be someone who is introspective and turns so inward trying to figure out what to do that I don't take any action at all? And I need to learn to step out in faith, to do something and trust that God will use it. And honestly, this is something we need to think about as a church too, not just as individuals. As a church, we have a particular way that we can sometimes avoid the Word of God working out in us. I think we're a church, at least with my orientation as well, so a church that likes to get things right. We want to have the Word working in us 
in making us holy and right, to have us thinking right about things. But if that does not turn into action, we're fooling ourselves. We are not acting as the people of God. We are not acting as the community of God's people. We need to show the change that is working in us through love of our neighbors, to have it be visible in the world around us, or the message that we have of the gospel will look false to others as well. This is the calling that James puts on our life. And we'll see this worked out in a variety of ways over the next several weeks as we stay in the book of James. That he calls us to a life that is filled with a correct perception because we are seeing with the eyes of faith. But it is also filled with action. That we are actively showing the love of God to our neighbors. We are actively responding to that gospel that is working in us. And at times we're going to have to work out what that looks like together. We're going to have to step out in faith and trust that God is the one who is working in us and who desires to work through us so that we can live a life that is filled with the proper action as a response to God's word. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.